Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. This week, you will hear the opening chapters of Nancy Wilson's Single and Satisfied. If you'd like to hear the rest, you can find it exclusively on the Canon app. To Bessie, who taught me that contentment is a deep satisfaction with the will of God. Elizabeth Catherine Dodds Wilson, 1919-2010 to This second edition to my ten beautiful granddaughters, Jemima, Belphoebe, Hero, Lucia, Amira, Lena, Daphne, Chloe, Marisol, and Blair. Introduction Years ago, my husband and I were attending a church dinner where part of the program included asking all the singles in the church to stand. At that time, there were only three, my oldest daughter and two young men. When my daughter's turn came to be introduced, my husband said, she's not single, she's a daughter. Ever since that evening, I have felt uncomfortable with the term single when referring to unmarried men and women in our church. Today, our numbers have swollen and we have many unmarried men and women of marriageable age as part of our growing church community. Our individualistic culture wants to label unmarried people as singles. But in the covenant community of God, there are no singles. God calls us family, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in Christ. We are each to be wonderfully connected to the other as part of a church community, where each person is needed and attached to others in her own family, as well as to the broader church family. In a healthy church community, there will, of course, be many married couples with children of various ages, but there will also be widows, couples who have no children, old people, college students, and unmarried men and women. In our church, it is not uncommon for us to attend several baby or wedding showers a month. It's very easy to focus on the needs of these young women who are becoming wives or mothers and forget to look out for the needs of the widows, childless couples, elderly saints, or the single men and women. This is why we need to stir one another up to love and good deeds. We are to minister to one another in various ways, and if we were all the same, life would be boring indeed. Fruit is never uniform. It is scattered about, some branches more heavily laden than others. Fruit is messy, but it is delightful. The church community is much the same. A single woman is just as much a part of the covenant community as a mother with ten children. And she can be just as fruitful as the mother with the large family, even if her fruit doesn't look the same. In the providence of God, each of us has a unique place among the saints. Still. Even if we adopt the common terminology and call unmarried women singles, we have to stop treating them as singles. My point here is to remember they are part of the covenant community and not unconnected to the rest of us. This requires wisdom for all the church, because the women in this category have a difficult time today finding their place in the world as well as in the church community. They can feel a very real pressure and expectation to get married. Many of the saints make well-meaning, but thoughtless comments that exert this sort of pressure. Another difficulty is the emphasis in the church on family. This is as it should be, for God designed the family as one of his great blessings to us. However, when so much of the church's good biblical teaching revolves around being a godly wife and mother, an unmarried woman can wonder what she's supposed to be doing with her life. What is her role in the church? Does she have a purpose if she's unmarried? Is it just to look for a husband? Should she pursue a career? 
Unless the single women are instructed carefully and encouraged regularly, they can fall prey to discontent, self-pity, or anxiety, and they can fade into the woodwork feeling a little useless. To make single people feel like part of the church, some churches start ministries to singles or have career groups that meet regularly for fellowship. Of course, this is not necessarily a bad thing in itself, unless the group is devoted to silly skits and junior high-level games. But even if it is a sound group, it can become unhealthy if the only regular contact the unmarried women have with the church family is with their own peer group of singles. These women need to be integrated into the families within the church. We are designed to fellowship with all age groups, babies to grannies, and we should not become exclusively attached to our group. The Christian culture integrates everyone, young and old, married and unmarried, into the life of the church. God did not design his people to live as singles. We are to live as families, even if we're not under the same roof. An unmarried woman should have a high view of marriage, but she should also have a high view of God's sovereignty in her own life. He directs our steps. He establishes our ways. And he certainly decrees when and if and to whom each woman is to be married. He does all things well. Whether a woman is called to singleness for a short time or for her whole life, she is called to be fruitful in God's kingdom. She is called to glorify and enjoy God with her whole heart. She is called to grow in grace and faith and to be of great use to the kingdom of God. Marriage is a means, not an end. It is one of the means God uses to glorify his name among us, but it is not his only means. All of scripture is given to all of us. The passages in the Bible that speak to women speak to married and unmarried women alike, though points of application may differ. The unmarried woman is to rejoice in her calling before the Lord. She is to be virtuous. She must cultivate a biblical femininity, be modest and pure, and overcome the hindrances to fulfilling her feminine calling. She must love the sisters and view marriage as a good thing. And best of all, she is to walk before her Lord in humility and hope, growing in faith and love as a vital part of the covenant community. If the Christian community quits thinking of and treating the unmarried women simply as singles, that would be a great start. But you unmarried women yourselves have to do the same thing. You have to get a new mindset about this. It certainly requires that we all have wisdom. The single woman can be confused about her place in the world, in her family, and in her church community. I assume that most single women want to be married. Those who have the gift of celibacy don't want to be married, so they would not be the ones to pick up a book like this one. So I want to discuss some issues that need to be addressed, even if no one else is talking about them. My desire in writing this book is to help the unmarried women in the church feel secure about who they are in Christ and walk in His grace. And I also hope that the rest of us will grow in our understanding so that we can support, strengthen, encourage, and enjoy these unmarried saints. Chapter 1. Taking Offense No doubt we have all heard people say rude things to single women. Even worse, maybe we have said rude things ourselves. Single women, depending on how long they have been in the still-not-married category, could no doubt make an impressive list of thoughtless comments spoken to them by well-meaning people, often at social gatherings and especially at friends' weddings. The old standby is, why isn't a pretty girl like you married? It's a compliment, right? But it's also a nosy question. The women who have been the recipients of such comments should try to attribute the best of motives 
Most of the time, people are trying to be funny or they're trying to make conversation and it is all they can think of to say. We really must think the best of them. Taking offense at insensitive comments only makes for bitter women. If you can quickly bring to mind a list of people who have said unkind things about your unmarried state, perhaps you need to confess some hard feelings and bitterness. Let it go. If we're going to talk about single women living in community with lots of married people, we have to be determined from the outset that we must all get along. And we must even do better than that. We must love one another and be quick to forgive. I suggest that you accept the fact that people, even dear, sweet Christian people, can say and do atrocious things. And if they weren't saying stupid things that hurt your feelings about being single, then they would be saying something else that would be a temptation. Married women are not immune to such things, so realize that this is just a fact of life. Until the world changes, we will all be exposed to comments that are either deliberately rude at worst, or at best thoughtless and unkind. We might as well determine now that we will handle this like Christian women. And how exactly is that? First of all, handle it with grace. A gracious spirit answers with gracious words. Peter tells us that the Lord is gracious, 1 Peter 2.3. Christ was known as gracious, Luke 4.22. And Ecclesiastes says that the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. Chapter 10, verse 12. It is easy to be annoyed or offended. We don't need grace to do that. But it requires grace from God to return good for evil, to overlook an insult, and to respond to an unkind comment with kindness. We are God's people. We must imitate Him in this. Sometimes we really are too hard on others. They meant no harm. They did not realize it would hurt your feelings. They thought they were being friendly or funny. In fact, they meant it as a compliment. After all, they said you were pretty. But our tendency is to take it hard. We immediately attribute motives and assume they were intending to hurt us. This is where we have to lighten up a little and have a sense of humor about it. People generally are insensitive and say stupid things without thinking. That is why the scriptures are so full of exhortations about the tongue. Assume that for each hurtful comment you have ever received, you have probably spoken at least a dozen to others. This will then give you a spirit of humility yourself. Let others' unkind comments be sermons to you, teaching you to be far more sensitive and caring to others than you have been before. When saying this, I am not pretending that comments like these are no big deal. I know they are hurtful, unkind, insensitive, rude, and unloving. They can cause discouragement, embarrassment, annoyance, and even bring on tears. They can easily stumble you and lead you to self-pity or cause you to doubt the Lord's mercy towards you. My point is not that these comments are no big deal. Rather, I want to encourage you to learn to deal with them with grace and wisdom. You want to process them like a Christian woman, not like a worldly woman. Sometimes half the battle is recognizing what is happening. If you can see it coming and identify it as a temptation— Then you can ask God to give you a gracious answer and not stew about it later, thinking about all the very witty things you could have said to put that person in his place. If you know this is a stumbling block, and it is, then pray preventatively that God will keep you from temptation. Then you can go with a sense of humor, wondering who it will be this time to make the witty crack. This is a universal problem. 
Cancer patients hear horror stories from well-meaning friends about so-and-so who died a quick death after being diagnosed with the same disease. Pregnant women hear about terrible deliveries. When I was pregnant with my first baby, a well-meaning friend asked me who my doctor was. When I told her, she replied, he almost killed my cousin. And then she went on to tell the gory details. If you are building a house, you will hear horror stories about other people building houses. So naturally, if you are single, people will give you unhelpful single comments. Why do we do this to one another? I surely do not know. It must be our first instinct, but we should know better. But we recognize it far better when others do it to us than when we're doing it to others. So cultivate humility in this area and pray for a gracious tongue. And don't assume that you're the only person who has to deal with this. We have received grace, so we extend it to others. A gracious spirit also requires a lively sense of humor. Don't take it all so very seriously, even though the questions may be awkward. So many single women are asked very sticky questions, often from people they don't even know very well. First of all, you don't have to answer them. Just because a person asks you a very personal question does not mean you are required to give an answer. And of course, it is better not to answer at all than to tell an outright lie. Do you wish you were married, someone might ask? Now don't lie about it and say, oh, not really, I'm very happy with my life. What you really might want to say is, what a stupid question. But perhaps a gracious answer would be something like, do I ever? And if you feel chatty, you can go on to say something like, but I want to be married to the right man. I don't want to be married just to be married. On the other hand, someone may ask a question that is way too personal. Is anyone pursuing you right now? Is there anyone you are interested in? Have you ever been proposed to? It may even be more specific and sticky. What do you think of Brian? He's an eligible bachelor. Of course, you may answer these if you want to, but an answer is not required. Why not laugh and say, do you really think I would answer such a question? No way. Answering or not answering is perfectly acceptable. The one thing that is not acceptable is taking offense. Change the subject. You decide if it is someone you want to confide in or not. Sometimes the well-meaning ladies in church will tell you they are praying for you. Say thank you for thinking of me. Be grateful for their kindness and don't let it ruffle you. After all, if you do want to be married, isn't it great to know people are praying for you in this? In our congregation, a few of the older Christian women have dedicated themselves to praying for spouses for all the singles, both men and women. They are serious about this, and they rejoice when they can scratch a name off the list. This is not insensitive or crass. It is real Christian love. Sometimes friends will want to press you to meet someone or ask you what you think of someone. The same principle applies here. Answer the question that you are comfortable with, but don't allow prying questions to force you to make your private feelings public. And welcome help that really is help. There is no sin in trying to get unmarried people to meet each other, and no sin in wanting to meet each other. Don't over-spiritualize this process. My parents met on a blind date, and they are not unusual in this. Take all the help offered if it is really going to be help, but feel free to pass when you know it won't really be the kind of help you want. Finally, don't let comments like, why isn't a pretty girl like you married, keep you from attending weddings or other social gatherings. You need to participate in community life. You need all these people, even if they are insensitive, and they need you. 
realize that each comment has come with God's permission and view it as part of your sanctification. Learn to be more gracious in your own conversation so that you are not asking nosy questions yourself. And if the Lord permits you the opportunity, graciously tell them that such questions really make you uncomfortable. Chapter 2 Is this an affliction? And if it is, what do I do about it? One of the things I want to address in this book is the need to come face-to-face with reality and quit pretending that being unmarried is lots of fun. In some cases, it may be, and in other cases, it is a phony show. On one hand, single women are encouraged to be content in their circumstances and to trust that this is God's best for them. On the other hand, they are urged to view their unmarried state as an affliction from which they are seeking deliverance. So which is right? I believe that being single can certainly be an affliction for those who are not gifted with celibacy. It was not a hardship for the Apostle Paul. But for someone without that calling, it is a hardship and maybe a form of suffering, depending on the circumstances. If being unmarried really is an affliction for you, then Scripture has much to say about how you are to view it, and we'll consider some of those things shortly. If a woman who longs for marriage and does not have the gift of celibacy pretends that her life is easy, she will not find the help from God's Word that is available to her. At the same time, some women really do not feel afflicted. They're busy, fruitful, truly contented, though they do pray for a husband. All women are different, and they handle things differently. So I am hesitant to call the unmarried state an affliction across the board. For some, it truly is. When I was single and out of college, I had a friend who viewed her singleness as an affliction indeed. She spoke of it constantly. And I remember her working on some needlework and saying, When I get married, I'm going to tell my husband, I did this while I was waiting for you. Everything she did was in relation to waiting for her husband. I remember disliking her viewpoint and wanting to adopt a different one. I remember thinking it over and determining that I wanted to have a different perspective. I didn't want to be waiting around. I wanted to be going somewhere. I did not want to view my time as simply treading water, always waiting for something to happen. I thought that I should be moving forward in my Christian life, believing that God would bring someone into my life along the way. Now, I think both perspectives are lawful. I think I was happier than my friend, but I don't think she was necessarily in sin because she was constantly thinking about marriage. But she wasn't always fun to be around. She got married a few years later, and I wonder if she had the same attitude about having children. And then about the next thing and the next. We establish patterns that are hard to break. I assumed that I would eventually be married, and I prayed regularly, not for a husband, but for my husband, whoever he was. I knew that God knew who he was, even if I didn't, so I prayed that he would be growing in faith and walking with God. I had lonely times like everyone else. I had temptations to get impatient. At the same time, I wanted to have direction and purpose, and I wanted that purpose to be maturing in the faith, growing in my Christian life. So I tried to attend as many Bible studies and conferences as I could, knowing that after I was married, that would not be as easy to do. I remember telling myself that I did not want to look back with regret, wishing I had trusted God more, wishing that I'd been more at peace. This is where we have to allow for different personalities. Some are more naturally optimistic than others. 
This is not to be confused with godliness. For some single women, it is a heavy burden to be waiting to be married. For others, it may not be as difficult. But we need to look at our own temptations and determine to have a plan to overcome them. In Christ, we can do this. If being unmarried really is an affliction, then the Christian woman can see it as part of God's sanctifying work in her life. She can know that God is teaching her, that she is enrolled in a class, and that she wants to get good grades so she can pass on to the next level. All women have temptations. If we are unmarried, we have unmarried temptations. If we are married, we have married temptations. No one is free from temptation. So we look out for our duties as laid out in God's word to us, and we do the next thing. We are to pray for deliverance, and we are to trust the Lord and rejoice in Him. Some women feel guilty about praying for a husband. They wonder if they should just give up, and at what age they should accept their singleness, period. The person in an affliction should persevere in prayer, all the while trusting that God is using the affliction for good. It is foolish to quit praying unless the prayer itself is a snare to your soul, causing you to be more miserable and worrisome about your situation. That is a sign that the praying isn't really productive and must not be the prayer of faith. But the woman who can pray for her future husband with a spirit of expectancy and longing, all of which is joyfully submitted to God, should never give up praying. The only time to quit asking God for a husband is when you cease to want one. A single woman should not sit around like a bump on a log waiting for a godly husband to fall out of the sky. In the following chapters, I will discuss some of the things a woman can do to improve her attitude, her looks, her personality, and her spiritual life. These are all lawful things to make a woman happier and more content, as well as making her more desirable to a godly man. But she also has to get out of her house and meet people. I have heard single women complain about the fact that the single men never include them in their get-togethers. But when I asked these same women about the parties given by the same men that were general invitations to the whole church, they confessed that they hadn't gone. This is like going to the doctor, refusing to take the prescription, and then complaining that going to the doctor was a waste of time. If being unmarried is an affliction for you, then look to the Bible and see all it has to say about affliction. There are many promises for you. Lay hold of them. Don't compare your afflictions to the afflictions of others. Learn to carry your own load and give that load to Jesus. God has given you sweet consolation in Christ.